Hola, so good morning. This morning we will venture into settling the mind in its natural state, but I'd like to venture into it in a something of a roundabout way, as if you are flying into an airport, but first you have to go into a holding pattern, and you see the surrounding countryside, and then you land at the airport. So in a similar fashion, really following quite closely to the counsel that the Buddha gave to the wandering ascetic, the seeker, the shramana, Bahia, where he directed Bahia to focus his attention on one sense field after another, and specifically on the, on the scene, which, be, which would be the datu, or the domain of colors and shapes, of form, on the herd, so another datu, or kam, of the tactile sensations. And then he skipped over smell and taste, just because most of us don't have a lot coming in, uh, just for example right now, but you can try this later when you're eating, big time for smell and taste. So he went from the sight, sound, tactile, and then went to the mental, and in each case gave the same counsel. In the, in the perceived, let there be just the perceived. So in the scene, just the scene, and so forth. And the whole idea is to try to see what is there apart from the elaborations, the superimpositions, and so forth. So it was really quite a fascinating, fascinating, very brief instruction upon the conclusion of which Bahia achieved arhatship. So the point here is to attend to each of these domains of experience individually. And one of the Buddhist premises in terms of Buddhist psychology, epistemology, is that these, these domains are non-overlapping. That is, at least among the five. The five are non-overlapping. That what you see with the eyes, you do not hear with the ears. What you perceive with the ears, you don't pick up with the tactile sensation, and so forth. They are non-overlapping. Mental perception, or mental consciousness, is able to attend to its own unique domain, thoughts, images, and so forth, mental images. But mental images, as I gaze, gaze over at Mary, as I direct my visual gaze over to Mary, I'm also directing my mental attention, so mental consciousness piggybacks on visual perception. So I'm picking up with two, and that's, of course, what happens when we're attending to the sensations of the breath. Tactile perception, tactile perception but then also directing mental consciousness on it, and they piggyback, right? And so... Mental consciousness has its own domain, but it also has serenity over or carries over to all of the other five. And this may be related to the fact, too, that in Buddhist psychology, epistemology, that our five physical senses or modes of sense perception are actually derivative of mental perception. And that is when we fall asleep, they implode back into mental consciousness. When we start dreaming, facsimiles of them, you can smell, taste, touch, everything, but it's all taking place by way of mental consciousness, because none of your physical consciousnesses are operative. Then when you wake up, if you ask, what was that from which the first moment of visual perception, what, from what did it actually arise? Now you well know in the Buddhist perception, or, or Buddhist vision, visual perception does not arise from the visual cortex. It's enabled and conditioned by the visual cortex, does not actually emerge from chemicals and electricity. So that first moment of visual perception when you wake up in the morning, what does it emerge from? The preceding moment of mental consciousness. And the last moment of visual consciousness just before you, just before you fall asleep, it doesn't turn into nothing. There's a conservation of consciousness taking place here, but it implodes back to or withdraws back into mental consciousness. Final point before we jump in, and that is it becomes especially evident when you do 
follow the Buddha's instruction in the scene, let there be just the scene, the herd, just the herd, and so forth, that these immediate appearances themselves to all of the five senses and equally so, the appearances to, that are unique to mental perception, that they're not material, and that is the colors that we see, they're not out there in the molecules, they're not in the photons, the visual cortex doesn't turn rainbow colors as we see a rainbow, right? And so the colors are not out there, the sounds, are not, the sounds that we hear are not in the nature of the tree itself that's falling over, the sound itself is not in the nature of the sound waves, there's no sound inside the auditory cortex, and so all of these sense perceptions, these sense appearances, are not taking place in physical space at all, and therefore they're not physical. Physical phenomena take place in physical space. They're not physical. So all of our immediate impressions of the world are all non-physical, which is quite interesting. And so where does the notion of the physical come in? It comes in by conceptual imputation. That we see these non-physical visual impressions, we hear the non-physical auditory impressions, and so forth, and out of this then we conceptually superimpose oh, there's a person over there coming and I see his appearance. So now there's a man who has a visual appearance and this man is making certain noises and this man is doing that and the man is something I'm superimposing upon the appearances and his body is something physical and that too is something I'm superimposing upon appearances which are not physical. So the physical is actually something we never directly perceive. So to be a physicalist and an empiricist is to be an oxymoron, which is the worst type of moron. Okay, I've had my little say. <laughs> Let's jump in and do the practice. As you let your awareness descend into the body, settle this body in its natural state and the respiration in its natural rhythm.
and for a little while settle and calm your mind in its natural state, relaxed, still, and vigilant, by practicing mindfulness of breathing in any way you wish. And let your eyes be open. And direct not only your visual perception, but your mental awareness to this elliptical field of form, of visual form, this domain of experience in which colors and shapes arise. And in the scene, let there be just the scene.
Close the eyes and direct the full force of mindfulness to the auditory field. In the herd, let there be just the herd. And direct your attention to the tactile field. And whatever sensations or impressions of the various elements, earth, water, fire, air, arise within this space, attend to them with bare attention, without distraction, without grasping, without conceptual overlay.
release insofar as you can the conceptual imputation or projections of I, of mine, of me. simply observe these tactile events <clears throat> as dharma, as phenomena, appearances arising within the space of experience, having no owner, no agent, arising in dependence upon natural causes and conditions. Finally, direct <clears throat> the full force of your attention to the dharmadhatu, the domain of phenomena, specifically of mental events. You may, for this session, keep your eyes closed and attend to those appearances that arise to or make themselves manifest to mental consciousness alone and not any of the five physical senses and, for that matter, to not any of the instruments of observation of modern technology, you do have privileged access to your own thoughts, mental images, memories, fantasies, desires and emotions. In the mentally perceived, let there be just the mentally perceived and sustain the flow of mindfulness of this space and its contents without distraction and without grasping. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Let's bring this session to a close. My old friend Lawrence Freeman, a Benedictine monk, also a friend of Elizabeth, when, we, when he and I were leading a workshop together quite a few years ago in Santa Barbara, um, he made this comment that the greatest gift we can give to another person is our attention. I think there's a great deal of warmth and wisdom in that statement. And if this is true, just utterly giving our full attention to others with a quiet mind, an attentive mind, without listening, if they're speaking, without listening and immediately going into judgment and preconception and memory and superimposition and desire and so forth, such that we hear things that they never said and we don't hear what they did say, which happens a lot. If we can simply hear what other people are saying and not only hear as if we're a recording device, but giving the full attention, being aware of visual impression, how are they manifesting visually, body language, quality of voice, facial expression, the whole package, what are they presenting to us, and to, be give, to give our attention to them is really quite an extraordinary gift, I think not very often given, maybe on birthdays, but not very common. And so if this is true, and I think there's a lot of truth in this, uh, then our, perhaps our greatest gift to reality is our attention. And that is as we leave this room and we're attending to what's rising up to meet us visually, by way of sound, by way of tactile, also what is arising naturally by way of the, the door of the mind, attending closely with this watchful, mindful awareness, and in the scene, let there be just the scene and so forth. Then in that process, we, that takes a big step towards, how do you say, overcoming the cognitive imbalances of not perceiving what is being presented, which means we kind of just turned our back on reality. Sorry, I'm busy. And also the cognitive imbalance of cognitive hyperactivity, where we are perceiving things that don't exist anywhere outside of our own projections. And so this simple practice, and it is really remarkably, sweetly simple, is really taking a very practical step out of a thoroughly egocentric way of viewing reality. Because as I attend to different people and situations and so forth, and my mind is just utterly clouded by, I like this, I, like, I don't like this, I hope this, I hope this doesn't happen, I, oh, I want, I want, I do. I, in other words, entering into an I-it relationship with everything where I'm the only I here, that is a profoundly egocentric view. And all we get is our own heavily filtered, constructed, configured vision of what's going on. The more we can quiet the internal commentary, quiet the internal superimpositions and seeing what's actually being dished up, we can move out of a thoroughly egocentric view and let it be more gently a homeocentric view. And that is, well, it's still human, but at least that's larger than just being one individual. So on that note, we have plenty to do now in between sessions 
and let's enjoy the day mindfully, attentively. See you a little bit later.